The following audio is from First Baptist Pelham in Pelham, Alabama. More information about First Baptist Pelham is available at fbcpelham.org. Amen. Take your Bibles, please, and turn to the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to be looking at two passages in, in Matthew, really just uh, one passage and then one verse. We're going to be reading Matthew 16, 13 through 20, and then Matthew 18, 17. And uh, this is the only time in the Gospels where Jesus mentions the church. And that's why I call this message what Jesus says about the church. Now, later on in Revelation, he addresses the seven churches of Revelation. And the words, if you have a red letter Bible, uh, those words are in red. And Jesus uses the word church there. Uh, But that is prophetic scripture that's yet to come. Uh, And so uh, while he was on earth, he mentioned the church two times, one in Matthew 16 and once in Matthew 18. We're going to look at those this morning and then read about what Jesus says about the church. Would you join me in standing, please, as we show our respect for the reading of God's word. This is the word of the living God. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. But you, he asked them, who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus responded, Simon, son of Jonah, you are blessed because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter and on this rock, I will build my church and the forces of Hades will not overpower it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven And whatever you bind on earth is already bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth is already loosed in heaven. And he gave the disciples orders to tell no one that he was the Messiah. And then over to Matthew 18 and verse 17. If he pays no attention to them, tell the church. But if he doesn't pay attention even to the church, let him be like an unbeliever and a tax collector to you. May God add his blessings to the reading of his holy word. You may be seated. Now, I'm not going to say much about that passage in chapter 18, but Jesus said that if two brothers have a a quarrel, if they have ought against each other, they should settle it, first of all, privately. And if it can't be settled privately, then Jesus says, take it to the church, take it to the assembly, And he said, and if they don't listen to the assembly, he said, then treat them like they were not a part of your family, like a sinner, a tax collector. And so that's where the word church is used in Matthew 18. But Jesus introduces us to the church in Matthew 16 uh, when he says, talks about, on this rock I will build my church. That's what we want to focus on today, the truth about the church. He said, I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church. I heard Adrian Rogers say this many times, and I was looking in my book of Adrianisms the other day, and he says, if a church isn't supernatural, it's superficial. And there are a lot of superficial churches today. My hope and my prayers, this church will never be superficial. That will always be supernatural. You know, if you take the Holy Spirit out of most churches, they would just go right on. I think if you took the Holy Spirit out of this church, we wouldn't be here because the Holy Spirit permeates the church with power. 
And so I don't want to be superficial. I want to be a part of a supernatural church. But notice the words Jesus said, and I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And it, was, it took place in an interesting place. Uh, Caesarea Philippi is not on the coast. The King James says when they came to the coast of Caesarea Philippi, but I think the HCSB more correctly translates it region. Uh, I've been there, and uh, Don and Diane, you'll be there hopefully in a few weeks when we go back to the Holy Land. And it is one of the most beautiful places on earth. Uh, you go north from Galilee and you go up toward the Lebanese border and then you take a right turn and go up into the hill country and flowing out of a mountain there, out of a solid rock wall of a mountain, is the Jordan River. And in the ancient world, the people there had built a temple to all the gods. In fact, it's called Banyas today and that refers to the fact that they worshiped all the gods there. And it was when Jesus and his disciples were in that northern part of Israel that they began to have a discussion. And Jesus said, who do men say that the Son of Man is? And they started to say, well, some people think that you're Elijah or Jeremiah or maybe a reincarnation of John the Baptist. And they were telling Jesus what the people were saying. But then Jesus brought it down to a personal level. He said, but whom do you say that I am? And this is one time when Simon Peter really got it right. And I want to tell you, he didn't always do that. Uh, he was always quick to speak, but he wasn't always right. But he hit a home run on this one uh, because he said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And when he said that, Jesus' face lit up. A and he looked at him and he said, Simon, you're blessed because flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my Father in heaven revealed that to you. It was a divine statement. It was a divine, blessed statement. And then he said, and I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Now, notice he said, you are Peter. And the word Peter there is the Greek word petros. Uh, it is masculine in gender, and it literally means a small rock or a pebble. The last time I was at Caesarea Philippi, they have the little bridges across the Jordan River there. And Brother Don, I'm going to check on this, so don't do it until I tell you it's okay. But they sow little plastic bottles, and you can get one of those little plastic bottles and go and dip the water out of the Jordan River and drink it. And uh, to me, it was the coolest, cleanest water. I've had a drink from a stream in years and years, because I'll be honest with you, I hadn't, hadn't had a drink out of a stream in years ago. When I was a boy, uh, if I was out in the woods, my dad and I'd go hunting and we get thirsty. We didn't carry water along with us. We drank out of streams. And uh, now Donnie would tell you, if you drink out of streams today, you might end up either in the hospital or maybe down in the funeral home. Uh, you're not supposed to drink water like that. I was always taught when I was a Boy Scout, and I was a Boy Scout for several years, that if the water was flowing and if there was gravel in it, it was clean. Uh, but Brother Donnie says things have changed about that. And I listen to Brother Donnie because he's been hiking a whole lot more than I have. In fact, I hope he still hikes a whole lot more than I do. I, I, I did my hiking when I was young. I lived in a tent one summer. You know that if you say, Brother Mike, don't you want to go camping? If you have a Winnebago, I will camp with you. I will not camp with you in a tent. I tell Brother Donnie he's going to get eaten by a bear one day. And guess what happened? Last time he went camping, a bear came and circled his camp. Uh, I asked him, how did he sleep that night? He said, not very well. And uh, I said, you know, it's hard for a bear to get in the Holiday Inn. And uh, th that's why I sleep in Holiday Inns where I go. But, uh, but I drank out of that stream, Brother Don, and it was good. It didn't make me sick at all. And, the, and I asked the guide, I said, can I take some of these rocks out of the river? He said, 
you can take any rock from anywhere in Israel and nobody will say a word to you about it. And so I grabbed some rocks. So at that time, my secretary was dot wide and her husband, Jim, had asked me to bring him some rocks back from the Holy Land, so I did. And I brought three rocks back for myself. I brought one rock, I've got it down in my office. It's black and it's hard. And if you hit somebody with it out of a slingshot, it would do some massive damage. I used to go to Bible school classes and carry that rock and uh, tell the boys and girls, now I'm not saying this is the rock that killed Goliath, but it does have a dent in it right here. And uh, I said, but it was a rock like this, okay? I didn't tell them it was a rock that killed Goliath, but I said it was a rock like this because it's a heavy rock. And I was telling the archaeologist down at New Orleans Seminary about it, and he said, oh yeah, that's, and he named some big old long word kind of rock. And I said, I'm glad you said that. I couldn't say that. And then, uh, and while I was also there, I picked up a piece out of the river, and when it got, got it back and it dried out, I realized it's not a rock at all. It's a piece of masonry. And I told that archaeology professor at New Orleans, he said, please bring it back. Please bring it back down here. Let me look at it. He wants to date it. And he said, well, if, if it's ancient, would you donate it uh, to our uh, museum down here? I thought, well, sure. You know, nobody's going to see it sitting on my office shelf. And, uh, and, you know, my kids might think it's a paperweight or something, throw it away. So uh, I'm, I'm going to get it checked out. Uh, but it came out of the Jordan River right there at what was Caesarea Philippi. And so as they saw that ancient temple to all the gods in the world, Jesus said, who do people say I am? And they gave him the answer. And then he said, but who do you say I am? And Peter said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And he said, you're Peter. Now he was a man. He, he was not, uh, he's not the Pope. Uh, I love my Catholic friends and I have a lot of Catholic friends, uh, but I, I can tell you several reasons why Peter was not the Pope. First of all, we don't have any historical data that even suggests he ever went to Rome. That is strictly traditions of men. We do know the Apostle Paul went to Rome, but the only thing about Peter going to Rome is found in the traditions of men. It's not found in any of the ancient church fathers. Uh, and so we don't know that Peter ever even went to Rome. And, and the second thing about that is that this means a little rock, a little stone. And, and he, it's a play on words. But what was the message? He says, you are Peter and on this rock. Now, Peter is Petros, but on this rock is Petra. It is feminine in gender, and it means a massive stone or a great ledge of rock like a mountain. Let me remind you that the church is the bride of Christ. That's a, that would, would fit a feminine word, uh, not a masculine word. And it also is not like a pebble or rock you can put in your pocket. Uh, the church is like a giant rock, like the rock, rock of Gibraltar, I like to say. And that's what the church is today. That's why I'm not worried about the church. I hear all the naysayers about the church. I want to tell you, I told the young people this. I enjoyed being with them on Thursday night at My Hope. And five young people prayed to receive Christ on Thursday night at My Hope. Praise the Lord for that. We're glad to see these young people come to know Jesus uh, in a meeting at our annex celebrating My Hope. But the thing about the church is this. The church is not an institution. The church is an organism. The church is the body of Christ. And when Jesus likened the church to a rock, he didn't say the church was a little rock. He said the church was a massive stone. When we go to visit Jake and Sarah in North Carolina, when we have time, we like to drive on the Blue Ridge Parkway. And when you're driving down the Blue Ridge Parkway in North Carolina, you see mountains and you'll be driving down and you'll be looking at all these mountains covered with trees and then you'll go around a curve and there's a mountain and there's not a tree on the face of it. 
It's just a solid rock wall. And many times they call those bald rocks. That's exactly what Jesus was talking about. He said, you are Peter, you're a little rock. But he said, on this rock, on this massive rock wall, I will build my church. And notice Jesus said he would build his church. I'm not worried about the church. I'm, I'm excited. I think the young people that we have and the children, I wish you could have sat down here. Some of you couldn't see them because they were over here and you couldn't see them from where you were sitting. I hope that when we have the Christmas program, you'll make it a point to sit where you can see the faces of the children. When those children were singing, they looked angelic. And I, and I mean, I don't know how well they sing. They sounded pretty good. But I want to tell you, a lot of them were having a good time singing about Jesus. That just thrills me. You say, why does it thrill you? If you'd been a pastor for 43 years and you'd sat on the platform and you'd seen adults sing gospel songs and hymns for 43 years, you'd be glad to sing children smile when they sing about Jesus. Now listen, if you're happy, you need to notify your face, all right? I mean, we sing the great songs of the faith. We sit here and, and we sit here like we don't have a friend in the world, like we just drank a quarter of persimmon juice. And we're singing about songs that talk about a wonderful place in heaven, a wonderful love of God, the power of the gospel to forgive our sins. We need to be excited about that. And I'm thankful that these children know how to sing about Jesus and smile when they do. And young people, I want you to be a generation that turns this country around. My generation's over the hill. Uh, your parents' generation is getting over the hill. And the generation just ahead of you will soon be over the hill. You are the last best hope for the church. And that's why I want you to plug in to the supernatural church, not the superficial church. So that's the truth about the church. But then notice the task of the church. He said, I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And whatever you bind on earth is already bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth is already loosed in heaven. And a key to understand the task of the church is to look at the meaning of the word church. The Greek word translated church is ecclesia. We get our word ecclesiastical. In fact, the title of the book Ecclesiastes uh, comes from the word uh, uh, ecclesia. And, and that's what's used in the Greek translation of the Old Testament. It literally means the assembly, but, but it, it, the best meaning of it, and I love this, is when you take it and put the roots together and translate it, it is the ek. Kaleo in Greek, ek kaleo. Ek means uh, out and kaleo means call. And so if we're ek kaleo, we're called out. You see, when Jesus saves you, he doesn't just uh, write your name in the Lamb's Book of Life and start preparing you a mansion in heaven and, and, and say, I'm done with you. When Jesus saves you, he saves you and he calls you out of this world and into his kingdom. I hope you're living like a kingdom person. Too many kingdom people are living like everybody else, and that's what's wrong with the church today. You, we're superficial instead of supernatural. We need to understand we are called out of the world into Christ, and then we're given keys. Uh, when I went to Rome several years ago, almost every Catholic church we went to in Rome had a statue of Simon Peter. In one church, I remember, they had uh, Simon Peter in chains because in tradition they say that Simon Peter was brought to Rome in chains. Uh, but you know the amazing thing about that? He had chains on him and yet around his waist was a sash with keys on it. Now, what in the world are keys going to do any good to you if you're chained up? Listen, I want to tell you, these are not keys to locks Jesus is talking about. He's talking about the keys to the kingdom of God. 
And how do we unlock the gates for the kingdom? The church can unlock the kingdom gates by preaching the gospel. When people repent and believe, the key unlocks the entrance to the kingdom. I, I believe that Jesus was not talking about Peter himself when he said, upon this rock. I think he was talking about Peter's confession. You're the Christ, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. If you believe that and if you commit your life to Jesus Christ, then God gives you the keys. The first key he does is he takes the power of sin away from you. Sin does not have to control you. Sin may control you, but it does not have to control you. You don't have to live in sin because you've been set free by the grace of Jesus Christ. And so the church can unlock the kingdom gates by preaching the gospel. I think that's why it says, whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. Now I want to tell you, I just love it when God turns loose in the church. I love it when people get fired up about Jesus. I love it when people get fired up about winning souls. I love it when people get fired up about studying God's world. I love it because we're using the keys to the kingdom. How long has it been since you've taken the keys and helped somebody unlock themselves from the prison gate of sin? It's not us, it's Jesus. He said, on this rock, on me, on this confession you've made about me, and then when the gospel is preached and people reject Jesus as the Messiah, the son of the living God, then the church says, you are outside and you can't come in. We say that because they did not heed the message of the church. Now listen to me. I'm not saying we judge them individually. The Bible's very specific about that. Jesus said, judge not lest you be judged. But here's what I think he's saying here. He's saying if that key has been used and we've been unlocked from our sin and we've come into the gospel of the kingdom and we've been saved by the grace of God and by the blood of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit which drew us to repentance and caused us to be sorry for our sin and then caused us to believe in Jesus Christ as we turned from our sin and we placed willingly our faith and our trust in him that unlocks the gates to the kingdom now I would never judge a person individually had I've been a pastor in the 43 years I had something happen the other day had never happened before. I was sitting in my office and studying, and Pat said, Brother Mike, there's a lady out here that would like to see you. And I said, okay. And she introduced the lady, and she came in my office. And uh, when you come in my office, uh, I usually get up and come around and greet you. And then we don't, I don't sit behind my desk and talk to you over my desk. I just don't like to do that. I have two chairs there. We sit across from each other and look at each other eyeball to eyeball. And, uh, this lady came in and sat down and told me her name. And I said, what can I do for you? And she said, uh, I want you to hear my confession. And I said, I beg your pardon? And she said, I, I want you to hear my confession. And I said, uh, let me get this straight. You want me to hear your confession and forgive your sin. Is that right? She said, yes. Now, she was Hispanic, but she spoke good English. We didn't have a language barrier. You know what we had? We had a theological barrier. And I had to tell that lady, ma'am, you don't need to confess your sin to me. You need to confess your sin to God. And she said, but I want to confess it to you. And I said, ma'am, you need to listen to me. It doesn't matter how many times you confess your sin to me. I can't forgive your sin. 
And I said, I'm going to be honest with you. There's a Catholic church down the road, and you're welcome to go down there. But I'm just going to be, because you came to me asking me about forgiveness of sin, I want to tell you this. There's only one person who can forgive sin, and that's Jesus Christ. And I said, nobody else has the power to forgive sin because only Jesus can do that. You say, well, Brother Mike, would you not pray with that lady? Oh, no, I prayed with her. But in my prayer, I said, God, I pray that this lady understands that even if I heard her confess her sins, I can't forgive her of her sins. I can't cleanse her from all unrighteousness. But I know someone who can. And he's ready to hear her confession. And if she'll confess to him her sin and confess that he is God's son and he's her Savior and her Lord, then her sins will be forgiven. You say, what happened? Well, she left. You say, well, you think she was disappointed? I don't know. But I tell you what, I still couldn't forgive her sin. If she came down to the altar right now and said, Brother Mike, pray for me, I would pray for her, but I can't hear a confession and forgive sin. Only God can do that. And that's part of the keys to the kingdom here. When we have keys, we can unlock the door to forgiveness. But we have to unlock them personally and invite Jesus to come in. So that's the truth about the church and the task of the church. I want to hasten on to say what Jesus said about the triumph of the church. Now I know I've heard all these uh, so-called experts and they're talking about the end of the church. The end of the church. And I'll be honest with you, so many people are talking about the end of the church. If I didn't know better than to listen to Jesus, I'd worry about it. But I want to tell you this. The church is alive and well, and the church will always be alive and well because Jesus says, it's my church. And I'm the one who is going to keep the church alive and well. Now, we have to do our part. I told you last week when I announced my intention to retire in May, I don't want to sit around on the 34 and a half years I've given here before. I want these last six months to be the best six months I've ever had, the best six months you've ever had, the best six months we've had in this community. Because there's still a lot of things that need to be done. And when a new pastor comes, I want to hand it off to him. And I don't want him to say, boy, that old fellow should have left a long time ago. He really messed this church up. Listen, I want to tell you, This church is not my church. It's Jesus' church. And notice he said, the forces of Hades, the opposition, the forces of Hades, death, the grave, and hell will wage war against the church. And I love what Paul Powell said. He said, Jesus didn't say the church would face no opposition. He said it would suffer no defeat. You say, why can't the church be defeated? Because it has a supernatural savior as head of the church. So there's opposition. We have opposition. By the way, Do you think if you try to help people and do the right thing, everybody's going to love you? Did that happen to Jesus? It did not. Who got the maddest at Jesus? Religious people who had their apple cart upset. They said, hey, listen, this is our temple. This is our religion. We like it like we've got it. You just leave it alone. And when he didn't leave it alone, you know what they did? They lied about him, and they put him through the mockery of a, child, of a trial, and then they turned him over to Pilate, and Pilate put him on a cross. And when Pilate put him on the cross, the blood of Jesus is the power that permeates the church today. 
Because only that blood can redeem men and women from their sins. So we have opposition, but there's no overpowering. We'll not overpower it. Paul and Barbara remember in the old days of the convention, back when we really had preaching at the convention, and we had a foreign mission board report on Wednesday night. And I remember the first time I went to the foreign mission board report, Dr. Baker James Coffin was executive secretary of the foreign mission board. His wife was the daughter of Dr. Wiley B. Glass. When China opened up to the gospel in the 1800s, Southern Baptists were among the first to go to China. China had been closed for hundreds of years. No foreigners were allowed in China. And in the 1800s, the doors of China were open and we flooded missionaries in there. One of our missionaries that went was a lady named Lottie Moon. And Lottie Moon served in China. In fact, she served during the days of a famine and she would not eat herself because she wanted to share what meager amounts of food she had with her Chinese brothers and sisters. And she got so weak and emaciated that the International Mission Board, as it's known now, the Foreign Mission Board in those days said, we need to bring her home. She's gonna die in China if we don't get her home. And they put her on a boat and sent her back to America and the boat only made it as far as Japan and in a harbor in Japan on Christmas Eve, 1912. Lottie Moon, one of our first missionaries to China, died. One of the people that went to China after that was Dr. Wiley Glass. Dr. Wiley Glass was a giant of a man spiritually and physically. He was about six foot five. He stood out in China like Phil would stand out in China. Anybody that, that's tall stands out in China because the Chinese people in those days were diminutive. They had that guy now that played NBA basketball, Yao or Yo or whatever his name was. But all the Chinese aren't his size. You were 6'5", you towered among the Chinese people. And he served in China until 1949 when Mao Zedong said all you missionaries have to leave China. One man didn't leave China, his name was Bill Glass. And Bill Glass was martyred in China as a Baptist medical missionary. But Wiley Glass left. And he went back to Southwestern Seminary in Fort Worth, Texas, and became the missions professor. And one day after class, a young student said to him, Dr. Glass, it must be hard on you seeing that all your work in China has been destroyed. They say, oh, Dr. Glass, this time an old man kind of stooped over. They said he stood up to his full six foot five. And he looked at that student and he said, young man, I'll have you know when Jesus went to China, he went to stay. Now those were the days we didn't know what was going on in China. We were cut off. It was called the bamboo curtain. Some of y'all remember that. Godless, atheistic communism took over in China under Mao Zedong. And we didn't know anything about the church. For years, we didn't hear anything about the church. Then President Nixon opened up the doors to China again. And you know what we found when we went back to China? We found that the church in China had not been destroyed. It had gone underground. And when people went to China, they met Christians who had been led to faith in Christ 
by Christians who were led to faith in Christ, by Dr. Glass and Lottie Moon and other missionaries. And what Mao Zedong thought he would do is he thought, I'll kill the church. What he did, he drove the church underground and it became more pure and more powerful and more potent than ever before. And you know what's going on in China today? The underground church, not the church that's recognized by the Chinese officials. The underground church has a program called Back to Jerusalem. And they're sending Chinese missionaries to every country between China and Israel. And they're sending Chinese missionaries to Muslim countries. They're sending Chinese missionaries to countries that are Catholic dominated. They're sending Chinese missionaries back to where the church began. You know what that says? That says to me, the church triumphant is alive and well. We don't fight for victory. We fight from victory unto victory because we're led by King Jesus. What did Jesus say about the church? He said, yes, the church would have opposition. But he said his church would be an overcoming church. Now here's the question to you. Are you an overcoming Christian? The devil's going to try to trip you up. The devil's going to try to discourage you. The devil's going to try to silence your testimony. And if you let him do that, the church won't fail. But you'll fail. You don't have to fail. Surrender to Jesus Christ. Let him be the Lord of your life. Let him give you the keys to the kingdom. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this word about the church. Lord, I thank you that the church triumphant is alive and well. Not just in China, but here in the United States. And Lord, I pray that we'd realize the church does not depend on the intelligence and gifts of men to operate. The church depends on the power of the Holy Spirit of the living God to take a stand for Christ and to boldly proclaim that without Jesus Christ, men are lost and dying and going to hell. Father, help us to be that triumphant church that even though we face opposition, we will not be overcome. For Jesus' sake, I ask it. Amen. We're going to stand singing hymn of invitation, hymn number... 596. We're going to stand. If you're one of those who got saved on Thursday night, I'm going to ask you to come and share that decision with the church tonight, today. You don't have to join the church. Just come share that decision. As we say, you need a church home. Thanks for listening to this podcast. For more information about First Baptist Pelham and other free resources like this one, log on to fbcpelham.org.